Well, hello, my friends, and welcome once again to Declaring Liberty. I am your host, Mark Romano, and today is Friday, February 24th. Boy, am I glad to be back. As uh, you know, I have been away from this podcast for quite some time. I've been uh, posting some short videos and things on YouTube, but I have not had the time to work on this audio podcast. Uh, So I am really glad to be returning. I've spent most of the last six months doing a job that I absolutely despised, and I am so glad that that has come to an end and excited to be back behind the microphone. Now, we have a lot to talk about. I don't think there's any way I'm going to get to all of it today. And here's something that you should know. Just uh, going forward, what you need to know uh, about this show and my various platforms This audio podcast, I'm not exactly sure what my schedule is going to be. Right now, I am thinking about doing once a week on Fridays, but honestly, I don't know that that's going to be enough. I may have to uh, bump that up to two or three times a week. There's just so much in the news, there's, there's no way for me to cover it. But for right now, that's sort of my game plan, but we'll see how it goes. In addition to this audio podcast, where, which you can get on uh, most audio podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, I mean, most podcast apps are going to have this show. But in addition to the audio version of this podcast, You can also find me on YouTube where I post much more frequently and I will continue to do so and I'm I'm going to be ramping that up as well. Like I said, there is just so much going on and what's good about YouTube is it gives me the opportunity to, you know, just record a a one or two minute video uh, if there's something that I think needs to be said on a topic or if there's some breaking news I want to give you my thoughts on. And so I will be posting probably multiple times a day on my YouTube channel. I will put a link to it in the show notes below, but just go to YouTube and search for Mark Romano or Declaring Liberty and you will find me. So go ahead, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to my YouTube channel and turn on notifications so you are alerted anytime I upload a new video. Okay, so what do we have going on today. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some political issues. Like I said, I've got way too much to get to, but I'll try to hit some of the big things. I don't want to spend too much on politics today because there's a lot more important legal issues that I need to address. So here's what we're going to try to cover today. On the political side of things, we're going to talk about Donald Trump, how some Republicans, including Fox News, are turning on him and what that means for the primary. We're going to talk about Ron DeSantis a little bit. I'm going to tell you why he cannot possibly become president in 2024. Uh, I will have some more comments about uh, Trump, this time with respect to some comments he made about education, once again proving that he is not a conservative, and neither are the people in his fascist cult. We're going to talk a little bit, if we have time, about The recent revelations from the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News, which are just utterly astounding. Then on the um, legal constitutional side of things, I want to talk a little bit about Mike Pence, the coward Mike Pence, and his uh, attempt, it will be an attempt in vain, 
to try to avoid testifying to the grand jury in the special counsel probe of Donald Trump and his attempt to steal the election and turn us into a third world banana republic. I also want to discuss a little bit about something that a little bit of what's in the news right now, which is this four person of the grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, and uh, her ridiculous comments in the media and uh, what that could potentially mean for any possible case against Donald Trump. Um, I'll let the cat out of the bag here if you haven't already heard my commentary on this. It means absolutely nothing. Uh, a lot of what, well, I won't even say a lot. I will say most of what you may have been hearing in the media about this issue is completely wrong. As usual, um, most of what you hear on legal and constitutional issues uh, is said even in cable news by supposed legal experts, by people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. And uh, as usual, most people commenting on this subject are getting it all wrong, so I will explain that. Now, on to the politics. So you may have seen polls coming out that show Donald Trump's support among base Republican voters in a potential primary contest between him and other candidates. You may have seen his his support slipping. You have maybe seen some stories about, you know, people inside the Republican Party wanting to turn the page on Donald Trump. Uh, big time money donors looking to put their money elsewhere, mostly behind the new flavor of the day in Republican politics, Ron DeSantis. Um, but I will tell you, this is all premature. They almost certainly are not going to be able to defeat Donald Trump in the primary. And uh, this is mostly just wishful thinking. They created this monster, and this monster is not done destroying them. And they're not going to be so, it's not going to be so easy for them to simply turn the page because they realize now that Donald Trump is toxic, he is a loser. And he is not going to help their political fortunes going forward. But they're not just going to be able to cast him aside. You know, they, they made this bed. They're going to have to lie in it. So let's talk a little bit about the, the turning, okay? Um, I've got a clip here from Fox and Friends. Now, Fox and Friends over the last many years has been just basically a Trump cheerleader platform. Uh, and I do not watch Fox. I will I will <clears throat> watch clips of Fox that I find elsewhere, but I am not going to watch that propaganda network. Um, not going to sit through that crap. Um, but now I've got this clip from Fox and Friends, and they're talking about Palestine, Ohio, and the train derailment there. Now, of course, because Don, because Joe Biden is president. It's, of course, his fault, right? Because that's the way it works. In a country of 330 million people, anything that happens is, of course, the fault of the president of the United States. This, this is apparently how the, uh, the, the intellect works on the right. Uh, remember, this is a party supposedly of limited government, right? Limited government, yet... The president is single-handedly responsible for everything that happens in the country, including, you know, um, conducting trains. Apparently, that's the president's job, too. He is, he is responsible for driving trains and, 
and making sure that uh, there are no derailments. That's that's his job. Anyway, um, amidst the uh, the narrative on the right that this is all Joe Biden's fault, comes this clip from Fox and Friends where they are rightfully pointing to the fact that Donald Trump as president, uh, you know, deregulated the railroads, including rolling back a regulation put in place by Barack Obama having to do with upgrading the braking systems on these trains. Donald Trump did away with this. And so that may have contributed or even flatly caused the train derailment in Ohio. Of course, you're not supposed to say that on the right. You're supposed to just blame Joe Biden. But there was a little bit of truth-telling on Fox News, which is uh, very much out of the ordinary. So let's listen to this. Apparently, regulations regarding train safety were changed during the Trump administration. Uh, this particular railroad and others lobbied President Trump to dismantle an Obama-era rule that would have required railroads to update their braking systems. And uh, apparently, the Obama administration had pushed forward to govern transportation of hazardous materials after about half a million uh, barrels of crude were dumped. Uh, but ultimately, the Trump administration undid that and said the costs exceeded the benefits. Okay, so this is the kind of truth-telling you know, rightfully pointing out actions that uh, their orange god king took that may have contributed to this, pointing that out, you know, should be a part of, uh, you know, any good reporting on this subject. But this is not what you would expect to happen on Fox News. This is not, this would not have been reported just even just a few months ago. But there is something going on uh, at Fox, subtly, but it is going on, and that is they are turning the page on Donald Trump. Not because, in this clip, we're, we're, we're listening to Steve Ducey talk, not because Steve Ducey wants to turn the page on Donald Trump or anyone else at that network, but they are being told to, uh, to do things like this, to, to um, put out information like this. Don't think that Steve Ducey would have done this on his own. He was told uh, to say this, to point this out. And the reason is Rupert Murdoch and the other bigwigs at Fox know that Donald Trump is poison politically. They know he cannot win again. And, you know, after seeing what happened in the midterms, after seeing what happened in 2020, um, they know that there's only electoral disaster ahead if they stay with Trump. And so they are trying to turn the page. And Fox News has gone all in on Ron DeSantis. Um, but they can't go out and say that. They can't say, hey, Ron DeSantis is our guy and we want to get rid of Trump. But they're doing it. They're doing it subtly. They're pushing. I mean, it is Fox News has been, from what I can tell, like I said, I don't watch it. But from the clips and the stories that I read about what's going over there, on, going on over there on Fox, it would seem like Fox News programming is now just a big Ron DeSantis for president infomercial. All right. And so that's why you're now seeing stories like this pointing out Trump's potential culpability for this train derailment in Ohio. Um, this is all because they want to get rid of Trump. They want to move on. They want to nominate Ron DeSantis. They want Donald Trump to go away. And by the way, people who want Donald Trump to go away, they are secretly hoping and praying 
that the prosecutors, either in Fulton County or at the you know the federal prosecutors, do them a huge favor and take Donald Trump out. You know, as much as the rest of us want Donald Trump to be prosecuted, so too do the people you know on the right who want to turn the page and want him to go away. They are praying for Donald Trump to be prosecuted and imprisoned and to just be taken out for them because they don't have the balls to do it on their own. So they're, they're hoping and praying that someone else does it for them. But that, you know, that has been the modus operandi among these people from the beginning, from 2016, from 2015. You know, they, were, they didn't want this guy. A lot of them did not want this guy, right? And they were hoping other people would take him out. They never took the steps necessary themselves. You know, they could have gotten rid of him in impeachment number one. They certainly could have gotten rid of him in impeachment number two. If Mitch McConnell had put on his big boy pants and just gotten a handful of Republicans to go along with with voting to convict Donald Trump, he would be out of their lives right now. He would be barred from running for president again. But now they're stuck with the guy. And so they're hoping and praying that the special counsel, Jack Smith, or that Fonnie Willis down in Fulton County um, will do the job for them and just take this guy out. But uh, unless that happens, they're in big trouble because as much as they may hope that Ron DeSantis can beat Donald Trump in the primaries, it's not going to happen. Um, So first, let's talk about whether it's possible for Ron DeSantis to beat Donald Trump. And then what happens if Ron DeSantis actually does, okay? So is it possible for Ron DeSantis to beat Donald Trump in a primary? Yes, it is possible, theoretically, but it's not going to happen because in order for Ron DeSantis to beat Donald Trump, he'd have to get it to a one-on-one contest. It would have to be Trump versus DeSantis with no other choices, and only then is it possible that maybe Ron DeSantis could beat Donald Trump. Uh, Because Donald Trump has his core supporters who aren't going anywhere. And as long as there are... so, So in the primary, you will have Trump and everyone else, right? Because Trump's support isn't going anywhere. He will have them no matter who else is in the race, right? He has 35, 40%, maybe even 50 of the Republican base voters, okay? Probably somewhere around 40. And they're not going anywhere. So that leaves 60 Now, if it's a one-on-one contest, Ron DeSantis might be able to beat him 60-40. He might be able to to pick him off in the primaries. But if there are other non-Trump candidates, they are all going to split up the non-Trump vote because his 40% aren't going anywhere. So now you take that 60% and you're splitting it up among multiple candidates. So none of them are going to be able to get to to a number to beat Trump. Trump is always going to prevail in a multi-candidate field. Ron DeSantis has to get it down to a two-person race or he has no chance to beat Donald Trump. So, and that's not going to happen. There are too many egomaniacs on the right who all think they're going to be the next president, most of which is absolutely hilarious. You got Nikki Haley out there thinking she has a chance. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, she's just running for vice, pre- running for vice president. Well, here's a news flash: You don't have to run for president and fail in order to get picked as vice president. I mean... Maybe that's what she's doing, but that's pretty stupid. I think it's a pretty stupid strategy, okay? Because you're running for president against Trump. He's you know, he's not going to like that. 
He's going to attack you. You might lose support within the Republican Party. You're running the risk of, of Donald Trump doing to you what he did to so many other Republicans. Um, why do that? Just kiss his ass from the sidelines if you want to be his vice president. Just kiss his ass from the sidelines. There's no need to put yourself through the ringer of a, a presidential primary contest just to lose in the hopes that he picks you for vice president. Okay, Mike Pence didn't run in 2016 for president, yet he got selected for, for vice president. I mean, you don't have to run for president in order to get selected for VP. Just So this whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. But whatever, I don't know what the hell she's doing. The point is, she's in the race right now. And she's already making a joke of herself. Have you seen this? Every time she's asked, how are you different from Donald Trump? And, you know, all these candidates on the, on the right running for president are going to be asked this question. you got to be able to answer that question. Why should primary voters select you and not Donald Trump? What do you bring that's different than Donald Trump? How are you different from Donald Trump? She won't answer that question. She has this stupid, just standard line that she apparently thinks is very clever that she repeats now every time she gets asked that question. And it's, I don't kick sideways. I kick forward. I'm going after Joe Biden. I'm kicking him. I'm not going to kick sideways. And this came from her, her stupid campaign launch speech where she talked about how, oh, you know, um, She's going to, you know, it, it, she's going to kick forward. She's going to kick Joe Biden and it hurts more when you when you when you kick with heels and some stupid thing about, you know, she's a woman. So that's why we have to vote for her. It was also stupid and cringy. But that's her her standard line now. It's going to be I don't kick sideways. I kick forward. Um, she's only been running for president for a week and I'm already sick of that line. And she's going to make a joke of herself unless she gets a a better response to that question than I I don't kick sideways. Ridiculous. And you got other people out here testing the waters. You got Tim Scott, also from South Carolina. Senator Tim Scott, who was appointed to his position by Nikki Haley, by the way, when she was governor. Uh, that, that Tim Scott thinks he has a snowball's chance in hell, I also find hilarious. Also to Mike Pence. Really, the MAGA cult wanted to hang him. And now he thinks they're going to get his support. This guy is delusional. If 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 he was a man of principle, integrity, if he even just had two brain cells to run together, he would realize he has no chance of being elected president. He has no chance of being nominated by this Republican Party. The only chance he has is to sit on the sidelines and wait. Maybe in 2028, the Republican Party would have come to its senses and stepped back from this ridiculous, you know, the, the insanity that now infests their party. And maybe he would have a shot in 2028. He has no shot right now. There is no conceivable path for him to get the Republican nomination. These people wanted him dead, and now he wants their support. He's, he's delusional. If he, if he had a head on his shoulders with more than a couple brain cells knocking around in there, he would realize, I have no chance. I probably will never have a chance and I should just do the right thing and testify about what I know and maybe bury this piece of shit dirtbag who tried to have me killed on January 6th. That's what a man would do. Mike Pence is not a man. Mike Pence is a coward. He is a shell of a man. And I think it's hilarious that he actually thinks he has a snowball's chance in hell of being elected president. He does not. There's no, there's no path for this guy. Um, now, what if, back to the Ron DeSantis thing, what if Ron DeSantis actually did 
get it down to a two-person race. And by the way, this is all supposing that Donald Trump is not indicted by then. And, and just because he's indicted doesn't mean he won't continue to run. He probably will. So an indictment probably won't even change that. Um, so anyways, that, that's just an aside. So let's say Ron DeSantis somehow manages to get the Republican nomination. He gets it down to a two-party race. Maybe some of the big wigs, you know, the big money guys behind the scene go, go up to all these other candidates in the race and say, hey, if you ever want any money from us, if you ever want us to support you in the future, you will drop the hell out of this race so we can get it to a one-on-one -on -one between Trump and DeSantis. You know, that's the only way that he's going to get it down to a two-person race. He'd, he'd have to have these big money folks, you know, have a little come-to-Jesus meeting with the other candidates. So let's assume that happens and it becomes a two-person race between Trump and DeSantis and DeSantis actually manages to win the Republican nomination. What happens then? Can he win the White House? The answer to that is no, absolutely not. Ron DeSantis cannot possibly win the general election in 2024. And here is why. Two words, Donald Trump. Do people not realize who the people not even understand this man yet? If Donald Trump loses, if the Republican Party does not nominate him for president, instead nominates Ron DeSantis, you really think Donald Trump is just going to go along and get behind Ron DeSantis and endorse him for president? Are you out of your freaking mind? Of course he's not going to do that. If the Republican Party does not nominate him for president, Donald Trump is going to burn it all down. He is going to burn the Republican Party to the ground. They owe him their undying loyalty as far as he's concerned. And if they turn their back on him and nominate Ron DeSantis, he will do everything he can, not only to destroy Ron DeSantis, but to destroy the Republican Party. There is not a chance that Ron DeSantis could win the general election if he beats Donald Trump in the primary in 2024. There's no way. Because Donald Trump has a cult following and they are not going anywhere. Now, maybe some of them would. Maybe some of them, if Ron DeSantis wins the primary, because they, they like Ron DeSantis, they just aren't infatuated with Ron DeSantis. He's not their cult leader like Donald Trump is. So they want Trump. But some of them, maybe, if Ron DeSantis wins, will, will go over and vote for Ron DeSantis in the general election. But not all of them. Not even close to all of them. Okay, because Donald Trump, if, if and keep in mind too, if it becomes a two-person race between Trump and DeSantis, Trump is going to go all out to try to destroy DeSantis in the, in the primary. He will say the most vile things and the most vicious attacks against Ron DeSantis. You know, he will, he will do what he did to Ted Cruz, okay? Now, Ted Cruz has since gone all out for the last however many years, six years, kissing Donald Trump's ass, and so he's kind of worked his way back into the good graces of most of the cult. Not all of them, but, you know, he's, he's rehabilitated himself to some degree. But for a long time, they despised Ted Cruz. He was, he was a lion Ted. Same thing with Marco Rubio and everyone else who ran against him in 2016. If it becomes a two-person race between Trump and DeSantis, Trump will do everything he can to destroy DeSantis. DeSantis may be completely destroyed politically within the Republican Party by the time you get to the end of that 
primary process. But certainly, you are going to have a lot of Republicans who are, you know, Trump cultists who will despise Ron DeSantis by the end of the the primary process. And there's no circumstances under which they will they will vote for Ron DeSantis because he was disloyal. He turned his back on Trump, their cult leader. Those people are never going to vote for Ron DeSantis. And I don't know how many, you know, what percentage of the Republican Party that would be, but it doesn't really matter. It will, under any, you know, under any scenario, it will be a big enough percentage who will not vote for Ron DeSantis such that Ron DeSantis will not be able to win a general election. If a certain number of Republicans refuse to vote for Ron DeSantis in the general election, Ron DeSantis cannot win. And we're talking about razor-thin margins. Just look at the last presidential election and the election before that. In, in a whole handful of, of um, swing states, we're talking about razor-thin margins. If, if 20, 30% of the Republican Party, and it doesn't even have to be that much, even if just 10%, 5% refuses to vote for Don, um, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis cannot win. And it will be at least 20, 30% or more, at least, easy, who will refuse to vote for Ron DeSantis because their orange god king will demand that they not vote for Ron DeSantis. He is going to burn it to the ground. There's no way any Republican other than Donald Trump can win in 2024. And I don't think Donald Trump can win in 2024 either. But if he's not the nominee, he will not let anyone win the general election. If if a Republican other than Trump beats him in the primary, then goes on to win the general election, who's the head of the Republican Party going forward? That newly elected Republican president. Donald Trump is old news. He's not, you really think he's going to let that happen? If you honestly believe that Donald Trump would graciously concede defeat to Ron DeSantis in the primaries and then endorse him and get behind him and try to help him get elected, then you're a lunatic. You need to open your freaking eyes. There's no chance in hell that that's going to happen. Okay, uh, already gone way long on this. This is going to be a much longer podcast than it was supposed to be. Okay, um, I uh, I need to hit this quickly. This is um, more evidence that Donald Trump is no conservative and neither are any of the people who support this fraud. And honestly, if, if you don't realize by now that Donald Trump is no conservative, then you don't have any idea what conservatism is because this man has never been a conservative. Um, anyway, so I'm going to play this. Uh, I've got a couple other things, and then I've got to get to Mike, De- Mike Pence, the speech and debate clause, and this uh, grand juror down in Fulton County, Georgia. But first, Donald Trump and education. I'm going to s- play you a little clip here. Now, keep in mind, Republicans, well, conservatives have traditionally believed in limited government, meaning, okay, I, it's hard for me to call myself a conservative anymore because of what has been done to that word, but I've always been a constitutional conservative. And what that means to me and others like me is that we are not against the government, but we believe that the government should operate within its constitutional parameters. The Constitution sets up a federalist system wherein the states came together, created a federal government, and gave up certain of their authorities that they had inherently as independent states, gave it up to this centralized federal government, 
in order for us to be a country and, and, and in order for the federal government to operate in a way that it needed to. Okay, so it gave up certain of it. The states gave up certain of their own powers, but only a very limited number of their own powers. And per the 10th Amendment, the federal government only has such authority as has been specifically granted to it by the Constitution. Any power that has not been specifically delegated to the federal government is retained by the states or by the people. That's the 10th Amendment. So the federal government only has the authority that the Constitution specifically gives to it. And we as constitutional conservatives believe that, that, that limited government means simply that the federal government operate within the confines of the Constitution as it's supposed to be. It doesn't mean we want to abolish government or anything like that. We just want the federal government to do what the federal government is supposed to do and nothing else. Because that lurches towards authoritarianism when the federal government is, is taking powers that it doesn't rightfully have under the Constitution. Okay? That's what it means. Now, Republicans today, for the most part, are not conservatives. They only pretend to be. They like to call themselves conservatives, but either they're lying or they have no idea what conservatism is. They couldn't articulate for you what I just articulated. They have no idea. Um, and so they, they fall behind this charlatan. So I want you to listen to this clip from Donald Trump talking about education and discipline of students in schools. And listen to this, keeping in mind what I just said about limited government and constitutional conservatism. Okay, so let me cue this up here. And uh, here we go. We'll end the leftist takeover of school discipline and juvenile justice. Many of these carjackers and criminals are 13, 14, and 15 years old. I will order the education and justice departments to overhaul federal standards on disciplining minors so when troubled youth are out in control, they're out on the streets, and they're going wild, we will stop it. The consequences are swift, certain, and strong, and they will know that. Okay, so here's what the great conservative <laughs> Donald Trump just said. At, he said he wants to, the federal government to take over discipline in the schools and the juvenile justice system. Now, those are two completely different things. So he wants to take over discipline in public schools, right? That's one. And then he wants to take over the juvenile justice system. That is criminal law violations committed by, you know, minors. Okay, that's, that's separate and apart from the schools. Okay, so he wants to take over discipline in the schools and criminal law throughout the country related to juveniles. Does that sound like a conservative to you? Does that sound like someone who wants a limited federal government operating within the confines of the Constitution? No, this is an authoritarian. This is a man who is saying he wants the federal government to take over the discipline of schools. So if a kid misbehaves in school, that's going to be a federal issue. The federal government, the president of the United States acting through the Department of Justice and the Education Department are going to deal with that issue? Some kid bullies another kid in school and now that's a federal freaking issue that the president of the United States is going to set the policy for? All right, so that's one thing. Educational discipline. Then you have the juvenile justice system. He's going to take that over too. So if you have minor in possession of alcohol, right? Some some 14-year-old busted, you know, drinking on the sidewalk. That's now a federal issue. 
So how, how the juvenile justice system works is kids, it depends on the age in different states, 18 in some states, 16, 17 in other states, depends on the age. But if, if a minor commits a crime under state law, then they are not dealt with in the normal way. Instead of going to regular court and being um, tried, convicted, and sentenced to jail or whatever the punishment would be for adult, for an adult, they are not found guilty of the crime because they are a minor. Rather, they are found um, to be delinquent. Okay, that that's that's the finding. They they are fa found to having you know, broken a criminal law and there's a finding of juvenile delinquency. And they are dealt with through the, the juvenile justice process. It's usually, you know, they get a juvenile probation officer. There are circumstances under which they can go to to jail for kids. It's not normal jail. It's, it's, it's juvenile. They go to a juvenile detention facility. It's separate and apart from the adult jail. But anyways, it, it's, a, it's a whole parallel track within the criminal justice system. Okay, so Donald Trump is now going to federalize state juvenile justice laws. Donald Trump, the federal government's going to take that over. This man is a conservative. Are you freaking kidding me? What he just said in this short 30-second clip is the biggest federal seizure of state authority ever in the history of the country. Right there, what he flippantly proposed in 30 seconds. He proposed to take over discipline in all public schools and to completely take over at the federal level all juvenile justice laws. These are two areas that are specifically state areas. The federal government has no authority whatsoever to be involved in any of that. The most that the federal government can do is make legally under the Constitution is make recommendations. No state or locality has to go along with this at all. But Donald Trump is promising you that as if he is elected president again, he is going to order his Department of Justice and Department of Education to take this over for the federal government to seize this authority from the states. This is federal tyranny, my friends. This is authoritarianism. This is the farthest thing from constitutional conservatism that you can possibly imagine. And this man is said to be a freaking conservative and people like me have been driven out of the party and called rhinos because we rightfully call out this authoritarian thug for what he is. It is amazing what has happened to this Republican Party over the last six, seven years. It's absolutely astounding. This is not conservatism going on in the Republican Party. This is authoritarian fascism going on in the Republican Party. And this is just one small example. This is one 30-second clip. But I can talk about this kind of stuff day in and day out. The stuff that's coming out of the mouth of Ron DeSantis, for example, is pure authoritarianism. And he is now said to be the, the conservative hero. Are you freaking kidding me? This is why you need to listen to this podcast. This is why you need to go over to YouTube and subscribe for free to my YouTube channel. You need to be listening to both, okay? And by the way, uh, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast right now, if you're on listening to it on, on Google or Apple or any of these podcasting apps, um, I, you should know that I also post this audio on YouTube as well. So er, you can get all of my stuff on YouTube. All right. 
But I understand if you want to listen to the audio version on another platform. Um, I prefer to do that myself. But it, the audio version is also on YouTube. You can get all of this on YouTube. But in addition to this audio uh, podcast, these longer form podcasts, you will get all these other videos that I'm going to be doing on subjects like this. So, for example, this 30-second clip of Donald Trump, you know, I might do a video just on that. Uh, or lots of other things that come up. So you really, to get everything, you, you got to also subscribe um, to my channel on YouTube. So anyways, this just blows my mind that this man and uh, his followers are referred to as conservatives. They're not. They're not. And this is why it's hard for me to, to like I still, you know, call myself a conservative, but the problem with that is, is that that word has been destroyed. So when you say conservative now, it's equated with Donald Trump and his cult. And um, since words can, you know, words are used to convey meaning, if the meaning that people get when I use the word conservative means, you know, that I agree with people like Donald Trump, you know, it's, there's a miscommunication there. So me continuing to use that word when talking to other people, um, it's counterproductive because I, I call myself a conservative and they, they equate me with Trump and his cult. And, and that's certainly not what I want to do. So I, I don't know how to maybe just call myself a constitutionalist. I don't know. Anyways, um, I point this out because any of you people who still go along with this idea that Donald Trump is a conservative, you need to wake the hell up. This man never has been. He certainly isn't. And he never will be. So if you believe in the Constitution, if you actually believe in limited constitutional government, then stop supporting this crap, all right? And there's almost no one within the Republican Party anymore who is an actual constitutional conservative. The Republican Party has completely been Trumpified and taken over by this kind of garbage. This is authoritarianism. You care about limited government, you care about constitutionalism, then you need to join with people like me and help destroy this fascist Republican Party so that maybe we can either save it or start something new that's actually a constitutionalist party because the Republican Party is not it. I hope it could be saved. I seriously doubt it can be. I think it's far too gone to be salvaged. But anyway, okay, I need to move on from that. <clears throat> so I want to talk real quick about the revelations we've uh, we've been witness to in this um Dominion's lawsuit against Fox News, this defamation lawsuit. And I was going to play a clip of Dan Bonidiot. That is uh, Dan Bongino, for those of you who aren't familiar with my little nickname for this moron. Dan Bonidiot. Uh, he was talking on Fox News with Glenn Greenwald. And I'm not going to play this clip. What he said was he's talking about people who watch like MSNBC and CNN and non-Fox News platform, you know, news sources, um, everything they refer to as left wing or fake news media. Bongino is saying that the audience listens to, to, to uh, people, you know, places like CNN and MSNBC because they want to be lied to. This is the most ironic, hypocritical statement that I've heard in months. Dan Bonidiot on Fox News accusing viewers of other networks of wanting to be lied to. This happened in the same exact week that we saw all these internal communications of Fox News hosts and other big wigs inside of Fox News um, talking to each other. These, these, these communications were released 
as part of a filing and a motion for summary judgment by Dominion against Fox News in their $1.3 billion defamation case. And what we learned in those communications between people like Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and others is that they knew damn well from day one that Donald Trump was lying about a stolen election, that there was no massive voter fraud sufficient to overturn the results of the election. There was no more vo voter fraud than, was, than is typical in all elections. Few isolated cases here and there. Nothing that would overturn the results. Nothing that would, ha would have resulted in Donald Trump winning the, the election. Every one of these people knew it from day one. And we see a very clear narrative, a very clear storyline of what exactly happened inside Fox News that made them start pushing Donald Trump's stolen election lies. And it is very clearly all tied to ratings and money. Recall that on election night, Fox News was the first news organization to call Arizona for Joe Biden. And Donald Trump blew his lid over that. Somehow, I guess the, th the thinking goes, if you don't say Joe won, then he didn't win. That's, that's I guess, the thinking. Um, they were right, of course, Joe Biden won. They were just the first ones to say it, but since they're, you know, they're Fox News and they're not supposed to say that kind of stuff, um, Donald Trump flipped his lid and for weeks after the election, he was on a tear against Fox News. He was, he was deriding them. He was telling people to go watch Newsmax and OAN and Fox News started to bleed audience. Audience was disgusted because Donald Trump told them to be disgusted with Fox News and so they started watching OAN and Newsmax. And Fox News decided, it's very clear from these revelations from this lawsuit, from Discovery, it is very clear that that is what made the people inside Fox say, you know what, um, we know this is all bullshit, we know this is all a lie, there was no election fraud, there was no stolen election, but that's what our audience wants to hear. That's what our audience demands to hear. And because we're not telling them that, we are losing them, and they are going to Fox News, and they are going to OAN. And so we have to start giving them what they want. They want to be lied to about a stolen election, so we have to lie to them and tell them that the election was stolen if we are going to survive with our ratings. And so that's what they did. They made a conscious decision to lie to their audience because that is what their audience wanted to hear. And then I come across this clip by Dan Friggin. You know what? I will play it. I can't stand this moron. Um, let me go ahead and play this clip from Dan Bomb, idiot. Let me get it queued up here. Um, okay, here we go. Now, I was reading a piece the other day I, I found quite interesting. And the piece was making the case that this isn't going to get any better because a lot of these legacy media outlets at times in the Washington Post are increasingly relying on subscriptions. And, and Glenn, candidly, a lot of these people just want to be lied to. They really want to believe. Okay, so here is Dan Bond, idiot, accusing people who read the New York Times and the Washington Post of wanting to be lied to, wanting to hear lies. This is a guy on Fox News saying this in light of what we just learned. This is absolutely uh, amazing. And you know what? Fox News' viewers will never hear this. They will never hear the truth about what was going on behind the scenes at Fox News because Fox News is not covering this.
from what I can tell. Again, I don't watch Fox News. I'm not going to put myself through that. Um, but from what I gather, and f- of course I would expect this, they're not covering this. They're not covering the revelations in Dominion's lawsuit exposing how Fox News decided to lie to their audience about a stolen election because that is what the audience wanted. They wanted to be lied to. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable irony and hypocrisy here. Okay, so, um, and and, you know, I'm going to have more to say about Dominion and Fox News, but I have too much else to get to, and I'm already like 45 minutes in here, uh, and so I really have to move it along. So let's talk about Mike Pence. As you have probably heard, the special counsel investigating both the Mar-a-Lago stolen documents case and all the criminal activity related to January 6th and the run-up to January 6th, Jack Smith, the special counsel there, has subpoenaed Mike Pence to come in and testify before a federal grand jury. Now, In response to that subpoena, Mike Pence has said that he is going to uh, challenge the subpoena on the the basis of the speech or debate clause. He doesn't want to testify. He doesn't want to have to testify against Donald Trump in this criminal inquiry. Now, the most obvious way he could try to challenge this would be by invoking executive privilege. And maybe he'll try to make that argument as well. But... He has no leg to stand on whatsoever with executive privilege. That has been very clearly decided way back in 1973, 4, it's 1974, I think. Um, This absolutely has no chance of winning. Um, And I'm sure his lawyers told him that. So they have to come up with something else. So he's now trying to challenge it on the basis of the Constitution's speech or debate clause. Now, some people in the media... Some of these supposed constitutional law experts, I see a a, a professor from Georgetown Law has made this this, uh, argument that he might actually prevail with this argument. I've seen um, a highly regarded constitutional law professor at University of Texas at Austin make this um, comment as well, that this might actually prevail. And you know what? I guess it theoretically could prevail, but the only reason it could possibly prevail, as I explained in a video on YouTube a few weeks ago, the only reason it could possibly prevail is because the courts have so thoroughly messed up the speech or debate clause. Uh, And what I explained there is you have the very clear words of the Constitution, and then the courts get involved, and they add to it. Okay, they inject in ruling on certain cases, they basically inject other words into the Constitution that aren't there in order to get an outcome that they want. And when it comes to the speech or debate clause, which basically protects members of Congress against uh, being prosecuted or sued or anything on the basis of their speech while they are in Congress, okay, anything they say in Congress on the floor of the House or the Senate during debate, they are protected. So you can't, if, if a member of Congress defames you on a floor speech, you can't sue them. Uh, or if they incite an insurrection from the floor of Congress, you can't, you can't you know, charge them with um, inciting an insurrection or anything. You can't charge them with a crime for something they said on the floor of the Senate. Now, they're not protected outside of that. 
If they say those same things on Fox News or in a speech somewhere, you know, at some town hall, yeah, they can be prosecuted or sued for that. It only applies to their speech uh, in Congress. Okay, those are the very clear words of the Constitution. But the courts have gotten involved and expanded that and say, well, what it really means is any legislative activity. Well, that's not what the Constitution says. Because any legislative activity is much broader in scope than anything you say while debating on the floor of the House or the Senate. And the reason the courts have done that is because it's all a club up there. And we're not members. So when a member of their club gets sued or gets you know, um, prosecuted, then the courts are going to step in and, and protect their buddies. So, you know, so you'll have a situation where maybe, maybe some congressman has gotten sued for some defamatory speech, you know, something they said to defame someone. They get sued um, and they weren't on the floor of the House or the Senate when they said it. Now, the Constitution does not provide them any protection. The courts know that, but they want to provide the guy protection anyway. So what do they do? They say, well, it was related to legislative activity. So we're going to cover it and we're going to say it protects them. This is how the courts expand the meaning of the Constitution beyond what the Constitution actually means. So let me read you the relevant part of the Constitution, the speech or the speech and debate clause or speech or debate clause, which is Article 1, Section 6, Clause 1. And it says, uh, where is it? And for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. That's it. That's the speech or debate clause. I'll read it again. And for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. So it only applies to speech or debate in either house, which means either the House of Representatives or the Senate. In either house. So they have to be speaking or debating in the House or in the Senate. That's it. That's all the protection they have. But the courts have gotten involved and said, well, if they are engaged in any legislative activity. So if a congressman is at his beach house in the summer and he's having a phone call with a constituent, all right, apparently that's covered. Okay, or if, you know, some senator goes on Fox News or gives a speech in some town square somewhere or whatever, the courts have said, oh, well, that's sort of legislative activity, so we're going to cover him. Or if they go on some fact-finding trip, right? These congressmen like to do that on our public dime all the time. They pretend that they're taking a fact-finding mission, but really they're going on vacation. So some members of the Foreign Affairs Committee, they'll all get on government jets and they'll fly over to Italy, supposedly on some fact-finding mission about this, that, or the other. But really, they're there on vacation. Okay? But since they say they're on a fact-finding mission that will help, you know, um, help them in their jobs on the Foreign Affairs Committee, they're saying that that's legislative activity. So if they do something in the course of that, or they, you know, okay, well, then maybe that's a bad example because they're in Italy. Well, maybe if they uh, take a fact-finding mission to Hawaii, all right? And um, they do something there to violate civil or, or criminal law. They're going to say, well, you can't, you can't prosecute me for that because I'm on a fact-finding mission. And that's a legislative activity. And I'm covered by the speech or debate clause. Okay, this is how the courts have bastardized the Constitution out of all reasonable size and scope. Okay, So maybe on that basis, um, 
Mike Pence can prevail on that, but he's, he's not going to prevail on that. The, these guys are wrong. There's no way he's going to prevail on this because even if the courts say that he's, well, he's technically, he's technically covered by the speech or debate clause because he was, he was vice president, but he was acting in his role as president of the Senate, you know, during January 6th. He was, because this is what Jack Smith wants to talk to him about. He wants to talk to Mike Pence about everything he knows about what Donald Trump did to try to overturn the election and pressure him to throw out electoral votes which he had no authority to do that's what jack smith wants to talk to him about so he's saying well i he was taught donald trump was talking talking to me in my role as president of the senate which means i'm part of the legislative branch so anything i do is covered by the speech or debate clause well that's ridiculous number one he wasn't i don't even think this applies when you apply the ridiculously broad legislative activity standard because what was he doing that was legislative activity he was doing nothing but opening certificates in a ceremonial role to count the electoral college votes. Is that legislative activity? No, that's not legislative activity. Were they, were they debating a law? Were they legislating? No, they weren't legislating. They were counting electoral votes. That's not legislating. That's counting. That's not legislating. And all Mike Pence had the authority to do there was receive the electoral votes and open the certificates. That it. That's it. Is receiving envelopes and opening certificates a legislative act? Of course it's not. So even under this overly broad legislative activity standard imposed by these ridiculous courts, um, even there, Mike Pence is not covered. But even if the courts say, yeah, we're going to consider that to be legislative activity, and so it's covered by the speech or debate clause, he still runs up against this problem. In every other sort of privilege claim, like I talked about how executive privilege doesn't work. The Supreme Court has already um, talked about this, has, has already ruled on this during the Nixon um, impeachment inquiries and, and investigations. When a, when a privilege runs up against the need of a prosecutor to know that information, when it's part of a grand jury investigation, that privilege falls. Because the interest of the government in getting that testimony in a criminal probe outweighs the needs to keep the information secret to protect executive privilege. That is essentially the holding back from the Nixon administration. That, that's what the Supreme Court said way back in 1974. Yeah, there might be executive privilege here, but when a prosecutor needs that information as part of a grand jury investigation to hell with the executive privilege, that gets set aside and you have to testify. The same thing would happen here to Mike Pence. Even if the court says that this is legislative activity and is covered by the speech or debate clause, they're still gonna say, yes, but who wants this information? A special counsel conducting a grand jury investigation. So even if they say that the speech or debate clause is at play here, it is going to be set aside because a prosecutor conducting a grand jury investigation needs that information. And that is more important than the stupid speech or debate clause. So he's not going to win here. And to that end, I have someone who used to be held up as um, you know a legal giant among conservatives. He still is among conservatives. There's just not really any conservatives in the Republican Party anymore. So people in the Republican Party who call them conservatives now hate this guy because he testified before the January 6th committee. I've got an article here written by uh, Mike Ludig. Actually, this article, this is an article in CNN 
that is about an op-ed that Mike Ludig wrote for the New York Times. Now, I don't have a subscription to the New York Times, so I am behind a paywall, so I can't read the New York Times piece that uh, Michael Ludig wrote. But I have a CNN article here about it with some quotes from his op-ed. I'm going to read some of this to you. But Michael Ludig was for a long time on the short list for the Supreme Court especially back under George W. Bush. He was top, he was, his name was there, um, you know, one of the top two or three names for consideration for the Supreme Court back when John Roberts and Samuel Alito got appointed. Um, he never made it, obviously, to the Supreme Court, but he is a, 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 a well-respected conservative constitutionalist jurist, jurist, always has been. But Mike Pence turned to him back leading up to January 6th, wanting his advice, wanting him, Mike Ludig, to give Mike Pence some something he could hang his hat on. He wanted Mike Ludig to tell him, yes, you have authority to throw out electoral votes like Donald Trump wants. But Mike Ludig told him, no, you have no such authority. Mike Pence also went to people like Dan Quayle, you know, Dan Quayle, the former vice president, and, and begging him to help him come up with a way that he could do what Donald Trump wanted him to do without violating the Constitution. And again, Dan Quayle told them the same thing. Mike, you have no authority whatsoever to do what Donald Trump wants you to do. You can't throw out electoral votes. The, your role is ceremonial. All you could do is receive the envelopes and open the certificates. That's it. That's all you can do. So Mike Ludig, that's Mike Ludig. And he testified about that to the January 6th committee. And he talked about the, the authority of a vice president under the Constitution. And he affirmed just what I said here. It's ceremonial. Vice presidents have no authority to do Imagine how, Imagine how ridiculous that would be, what we're talking about there. Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence to throw out electoral votes. Mike Pence was a candidate in that election. So these Trump cultists actually believe that a sitting vice president has the authority to throw out the votes of an election that he lost. That, that's what these idiots believe. They believe that the framers of the Constitution were so stupid that the, they created a system in which a vice president who loses an election can throw out the votes of the election and install himself in for another term. That, that, that's what they believe. So stupid, these people. All right, anyways, let me read a little bit here. Um, again, this is an article in CNN about this op-ed that Judge Ludig uh, just wrote. It just came out today, February 24th. In a stern rebuke of former Vice President Mike Pence, the conservative former judge who advised Pence on how to handle the January 6, 2021 election certification vote is now warning of both the legal and political consequences of Pence's plan to fight the grand jury subpoena by special counsel Jack Smith. Quote, we can expect the federal courts to make short shrift of this Hail Mary claim. And Mr. Pence doesn't have a chance in the world of winning his case in any federal court and avoiding testifying before the grand jury. Former Judge Michael Ludig says in his op-ed published in the New York Times on Friday. So let me say that again. This is what Ludig wrote. We can expect the federal courts to make short shrift of this Hail Mary claim, and Mr. Pence doesn't have a chance in the world of winning his case in any federal court and avoiding testifying before the grand jury. This is exactly what I've been saying for two weeks, or since this news came out that Mike Pence was going to challenge his subpoena on the basis of the speech or debate clause. Now, I've been out there on my own pretty much, 
because all these, you know, these supposed smart people that they, they bring on to CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and everywhere else, all basically saying the same thing. Oh, yeah, this is a pretty good argument. Speech or debate clause. Wow, this is a novel argument. You know why it's novel? Because it's ridiculous and nobody's been stupid enough to try it before. That's why it's novel. All right. Even under the Supreme Court's tortured expansion of the speech or debate clause, even then, it's not conceivable that this is going to win. For the reasons I said, this is, this is certainly, was Mike Pence speaking on the floor or the House? Is that what Jack Smith wants to talk to him about? No. What does Jack Smith want to talk to Mike Pence about? He wants to talk to him about conversations he had with Donald Trump. Nothing he said on the floor of the House or the Senate. They're talking about conversations he had with Trump, either in the Oval Office or on the the phone or wherever they may have talked. But wherever they were talking, it certainly was not on the floor of the House or the Senate, and it was certainly not legislative activity. It was talking about Donald Trump trying to commit a federal crime by pressuring the vice president to throw out electoral votes he has no authority to do. Is that legislative activity? No. Is that speech or debate on the floor of either house? No. So it clearly does not apply. It's absolutely ludicrous. It clearly does not apply. But then again, even if the court, under the court's ridiculous expansion of the clear meaning of the speech or debate clause, they say, well, yeah, I guess that is legislative activity. Vice President Pence talking to, to, to Donald Trump about stealing an election. I guess that's legislative activity. Not going to happen, but let's say they do. All right. But again, it will fall. Even if they make that finding, it's still going to fall because who wants it? A prosecutor conducting a grand jury investigation. And as we know from Supreme Court precedent, those privileges fall because the need of the prosecutor to get that information outweighs the need to keep the information safe and to, to keep it private because of any stupid privilege. All right, so, okay, that's Michael Ludig. Ludig, back to the article here. Ludig calls Pence's vow to resist the subpoena, quote, a dangerous gambit and one that will invite an embarrassing spectacle. This is conservative justice, or former judge, excuse me. Maybe he should have been a justice. He would have been a great justice. But conservative, former judge, um, Mike Ludig, calling... Mike's, Mike Pence's attempt to invoke the speech or debate clause to keep him from testifying calls it a dangerous gambit and one that would result in an embarrassing spectacle. Quote, no prosecutor, least of all Mr. Smith, will abide this political gambit for long, Ludig says. The op-ed was published at blah, blah, blah. In recent public comments, Pence has said he will fight the subpoena on grounds that, under the Constitution's speech or debate clause, the executive branch cannot compel his testimony before a grand jury. By the way, I want to inject something here. Um, just as as a constitutional point, because when you, when you read about these legal and constitutional issues in the news, as they come up and you hear these people talk about them, um, they conflate different principles okay it all gets jumbled up people don't know what the hell they're talking about and for someone like me for whom this stuff is important um distinctions matter okay and i've heard it said many many times mike pence said this himself but mike pence doesn't know what the hell he's talking about but i've also heard many supposed legal experts say this as well that this is a um a separation of powers issue that the executive branch because you know, the prosecutor's part of the executive branch trying to compel Mike Pence 
to testify. Mike Pence is saying, well, I'm part of the legislative branch because of my role as president of the Senate. So he says it's a separation of powers issue. That's not what separation of powers is. Separation of powers refers to the construction of the Constitution where we take the various functions of government, the legislative function, the executive function, and the judicial function, and separate that out between three branches of government. And separation of powers means that the executive only can exercise his executive authority. The Congress can only exercise their uh, legislative authority, and the courts can only exercise their judicial authority. So under separation of powers, a, a president cannot exercise legislative authority. That would violate separation of powers. A president has no authority to legislate. Okay? So if a, a president issues a an executive order that seeks to change the law or impose a new law, that's illegal. That's a violation of separate... It's unconstitutional. It's a violation of separation of powers because it's the president trying to exercise legislative authority. He has no authority to, to do that. Okay, that's just one example. Um, that's what we're talking about. That's what separation of powers is. It's separation, separating out the functions of government and preventing each branch from being able to exercise the authority of the other branches. That's what separation of powers is. The, a legend, an executive here, you know, an executive officer here, a, a prosecutor trying to get a testimony from someone who might be a member of Congress. That's not a separation of powers issue because what power is that executive officer, the prosecutor exercising? He's exercising executive power because prosecution is an executive power. That's an executive function. He's not violating separation of powers. He's trying to exercise his executive power. So trying to get Mike Pence to testify is not a violation of separation of powers. Okay, this might be a semantic point, but it's an important constitutional distinction. And this gets conflated in the media when people are talking about it, and it pisses me off. This is not a separation of powers issue. It's not. Um, okay, where was I in this article? Okay, back to the speech or debate clause. The clause shields lawmakers. Now, this is CNN writing this, okay? And again, this is why I do this show, because so much of what you hear and read in the news is wrong. This clause shields lawmakers from certain law enforcement actions that target their legislative conduct. Again, I read you the, the clear meaning of the Constitution's speeder debate clause. Does it say anything about legislative conduct? No. Again, here's what it says. And for any speech or debate... In either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. Speech or debate. doesn't say anything about legislative conduct. Speech or debate in either house. That's all it applies to. Anyway, back to the article. Pence and his team have argued that they believe the former vice president is also covered under it in, in the role he was serving during Congress's January 6th certification vote as president of the Senate. All right. Yeah, he was president of the Senate. Ceremonial. No legislative function. They weren't legislating. They were opening envelopes. If you go to the mailbox and get your mail and you open an envelope, are you engaged in legislative activity? Of course not. That is ridiculous. That is all Mike Pence was doing. He was opening envelopes. That's it. No legislating going on there. And here's another thing about this slimy little bastard, Mike Pence. Uh, when when he was subpoenaed by 
the January 6th committee to testify about the exact same thing that Jack Smith wants him to testify about. Now, what did he say? He said, I'm not going to comply with that subpoena because I am a member of the executive branch. I'm vice president, or I was vice president, and uh, that violates separation of powers. I'm a member of the executive branch, and it violates separation of powers for Congress to try to force me to testify. So when, when it suits him, he's a member of the executive branch, so you can't make me talk. But then when it suits him to argue something else, he'll say, well, I'm a member of the legislature, so you can't make me talk. So according to Mike Pence, he's a member of the executive branch and he's a member of the legislative branch. And so I can't talk no matter what. I'm the only person in the entire country, in the entire government, who doesn't have to talk to anybody about anything. Nah, 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 nah. That's basically what Mike Pence is saying. And it's ridiculous. And again, that's not separation of powers either. Because what was Congress doing? Congress was exercising their constitutional authority of oversight in subpoenaing Mike Pence to testify about what he knew. They have the authority to do that. That is part of their legislative function. They have the power to compel testimony. They have the power to issue, issue subpoenas as part of fact-finding, as part of their legislative function. Because what was the purpose of January 6th committee? It was to find out exactly what happened with the ultimate aim of trying to prevent it in the future and to consider what laws they could pass to prevent this from happening in the future. And, and fact-finding in a committee to inform their legislative decisions is part of their role as Congress. And so they were exercising their Article I legislative authority. That, so, so therefore, in them issuing that subpoena to, to um, former Vice President Pence, they were not acting outside of their authority. So they were not violating separation of powers. This is not a separation of powers issue. Again, because Mike Pence clearly doesn't have any idea what the constitutional principle of separation of powers actually means. But he just throws it around because he thinks it sounds good and because he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Okay, back to the article. Um... Ludig predicts in the op-ed that Pence's arguments will fail, writing that even if the courts find that Pence is entitled to some protections under the constitutional provision, they will, quote, unquestionably hold that Mike Pence is nonetheless required to testify in response to Mr. Smith's subpoena. Again, he's referring here to the 1974 Supreme Court case and all the cases since then, holding that even if there is a valid claim of privilege, it doesn't matter in the face of a grand jury subpoena because the the um, the need of a prosecutor for that information outweighs the need of the person to keep the information secret. Quote, what Mr. Smith wants to know are Mike Pence's communications and interactions with Mr. Trump before and perhaps during the vote count, which are entirely fair game for a grand jury investigating possible crimes against the United States. All right, um, I'm not going to read any more of this, but, but Judge Ludig has it exactly right as he usually does. And this is exactly what I have been saying. I'm glad to see this uh, in the news because most of what I've been reading over the last couple weeks uh, is this bullshit um, pseudo-legal analysis where people are saying, well, this is a novel uh, approach by Mike Pence and maybe it'll win because the courts have never addressed this before. Just because the courts have never addressed it before doesn't mean he really has any kind of legitimate shot to win. Okay? The, the courts have never addressed the issue of whether or not a cucumber has the right to vote. 
but I'm pretty damn sure about what the outcome would be if they did. All right? And I, you know, I don't have to see precedent on this issue to know how the how it's going to come out in the courts. And there is some precedent on this issue. Like I said, the 74 case. Point is, um, most of what you hear in the news is friggin' wrong. Um, it's, it's bullshit. I've been right. Mike Ludig's right. And I think we will both be borne out to be right. As the courts, in, in, as Mike Ludig said, will make short shrift of this ridiculous speech or debate clause argument by Mike Pence. Okay, where are we on time? Okay, we're over an hour, way over, but we shall soldier on. I need to get, finally, to this four-person of the grand jury down in Fulton County, Georgia. I know you are familiar with this story. Um, this woman, Emily Kors, was, no longer is because the grand jury has been disbanded, was the four-person of the special purpose grand jury impaneled by the uh, the court down there in Georgia to investigate Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the election results uh, in Georgia. Okay, how to begin with this? There's a lot to be said. We got a lot of people freaking out that this grand juror has now blown the case against Donald Trump, that she's given Donald Trump a get out of jail free card, and there's been stories that Trump's lawyers are, are out there claiming that the investigation is now tainted and uh, they're going to file motions and try to get any indictment thrown out of court and blah, blah, blah. People now are, are panicked that Donald Trump once again is going to get away with it because this stupid grand juror went out and started running her mouth. Um, this is just sky is fall falling nonsense by hysterical people who have no idea what they're talking about. And like most issues... There are a lot of so-called legal experts and some, sadly, who I have a lot of respect for and who, who usually are very, very good, but on this are saying some pretty stupid things. They are wrong when they are saying that this, this is really has the potential to uh, damage the DA's case against Donald Trump here. This is this ridiculous. Um, it doesn't. So let's begin um, with uh, sort of a 10,000-foot overview of this issue. What we have had going on in Georgia, we had the DA, we have the DA, investigating Donald Trump and his co-conspirators for what they did, right? You're all familiar with the phone call where Donald Trump is <clears throat> trying to pressure Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to, you know, make up votes, essentially, give Trump enough votes by making them up out of thin air so that he can win the state of Georgia. And this is long, long after all his court challenges have failed and the vote in Georgia had been certified. Anyway, um, so he's pressuring the guy. He was threatening him with potential criminal prosecution. It was really, really outrageous. You're all familiar with that phone call. So that's just one part of it. There's a lot of other things that happened, a lot of other phone calls. There was apparently more phone calls from Trump, phone calls from other people. He sent people down there in person to try to put pressure. Uh, there was a lot done. There's a lot of evidence, and I think we only know uh, a tip of the iceberg there with respect to what kind of evidence they have in that case. So we had the DA investigating this, and then she decided she needed a grand jury to compel witness testimony. And the reason for that is, look, police, law enforcement, 
district attorney investigators, they can't compel testimony on their own. You know, they can call people up. They can ask them to come in and, and talk to investigators, give statements, but they can't force them. You know, they can call a witness and say, would you come in and talk to us about you, what, what you know about this? And they can go, uh, uh, go F yourself. I'm not talking to you. And there's nothing the DA, there's nothing the police, there's nothing the state police can do to make them come in and give a statement. <clears throat> so in order to compel their testimony, you need to haul them into a grand jury. You need to subpoena them to a grand jury and force them to testify. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's how you compel testimony in an investigation. And Fonnie Willis, the DA down there, decided that as part of her investigation, she needed to compel the testimony of some people, so she needed to go to a grand jury. Now, in most places, you just have one type of grand jury. A grand jury both investigates, can issue grand jury subpoenas, can take testimony, and they also have the power to indict. Well, in, in Georgia, they have a different system. They have two different kinds of grand juries. They have um, the, grand, the normal kind of grand jury, which, which can indict, which can issue indictments based on information that is presented to them. And then there is a special purpose grand jury, which has the power to investigate, the power to issue subpoenas and compel testimony, but they have no power to indict. Now, this grand jury that we're talking about here, the one that this Emily Coors was four person of, this was a special purpose grand jury. Fonnie Willis had this grand jury impaneled in order to compel testimony of witnesses to issue subpoenas, bring them in, and take their testimony before a grand jury. That's all that this grand jury did. Okay, The prosecutor would say, hey, we want to, we want to subpoena this person. They would prepare a subpoena. They would hand it to the foreperson of the grand jury, and they would sign it. That's all that they do. So then, then, then a subpoena is issued. That person has to come in and testify. What happens when they testify? Who's in the grand jury room? Well, it's the grand jurors, uh, probably a court reporter, and the prosecutors. That's it. There's no judge. There's no evidentiary ruling. There's none of that. There's a witness. There's the grand jurors. There's maybe a court reporter taking notes, and there's the prosecutors. The prosecutors will ask the, um, the witness questions, and uh, the grand jurors might be allowed to ask the witnesses questions, and that's it. Okay? That's all they can do. They can investigate. They can compel the testimony and take testimony. And then they can write a report with their recommendations. Now that has all been done by this special purpose grand jury. They interviewed uh, like 75 plus witnesses and they issued a report. And the report, all it says, because this is what Fonnie Willis asked them to do, um, recommend for me anyone you think should be indicted and for what crimes. That's what their their report said. We've not seen that report yet. We've only seen pieces of it. We've seen the introduction and the conclusion, which said that they interviewed like 75 witnesses um, and they recommended people for indictment. We have no list of such people, nor the crimes for which they have been recommended for indictment. Um, and they also said that they believe some people lied before the grand jury and that Fonnie Willis should pursue them for possible perjury charges. That's all we know at this point in time. Now, what does Fonnie Willis do with that report? Whatever she wants to. She doesn't have to do a damn thing that they say. Or she can do things that they don't recommend. It's just 
advisory. That's all it is. This grand jury had no power to do anything other than compel testimony and to hear testimony. That's it. Their recommendations in their report carry no legal weight at all on anybody. So Fonnie Willis, the DA, could just you know take their report, act on their recommendations, act on all of them, act on some of them, act on none of them. She can also do things that they don't recommend. So say there's a list of people to, to indict, a recommended list of people to indict and, and crimes to indict them for. Fonnie Willis can do exactly what is recommended, indict all those people for the crimes recommended. Or she can she can indict some of them for some of the crimes. Or she can indict people who aren't recommended for indictment. And she can indict people for crimes that aren't recommended. She can do whatever she wants. This report carries no legal weight whatsoever. That's where we are. So if Fonnie Willis is going to indict anyone, she has to bring her information and present this information all over again to a new grand jury that has the power to indict. Okay, so what's the big controversy here with this four-person of the grand jury giving interviews? What's the big freaking deal? Well, typically, grand jurors um, are required to keep everything they know about what went on in the grand jury secret. They're not allowed to discuss it for various important reasons. But that's not the case in all jurisdictions across the country. And in Georgia, there is no complete secrecy requirement. Okay, they, uh, Grand jurors are allowed to dis talk about what happened. They are just not allowed to discuss their deliberations. And the judge instructed the grand jurors that deliberations means the conversations that grand jurors had when no one else was in the room. Private conversations about the case between the grand jurors with no prosecutors, no witnesses, no re court reporters there. Their private deliberations are not supposed to be discussed. That's it. That's the rule. Okay. Um, did Emily Kors violate that rule in her interviews? No, it doesn't sound like she did. I listened, I didn't listen to everything, but I didn't see anything where she violated that, okay? Number one, before I say anything else, let me tell you, she should be keeping her damn mouth shut. I don't care whether she's in compliance technically with the rules or not. She shouldn't be talking about this. She just shouldn't. It's, it's not helpful. It's bad form. This woman seems a little weird. She was clearly enjoying her time there, giving her interviews. She's getting her 15 minutes of fame. Uh, I will also note out that she, point out that she didn't seek out the media to give these interviews. The media found out her name and contacted her and got her to to talk. Not that that matters either. I'm just I'm just saying. Anyway, she sounds like a nut job and she shouldn't be talking. <clears throat> that said, she didn't violate any rules in talking. Okay, <clears throat> but let's assume, for purposes of argumentation here, that she actually did that she violated this rule and she discussed, technically discussed deliberations and violated this rule. <gasps> oh no, what happens? Donald Trump gets off the hook. No, that's not what happens. Um, juror misconduct is, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. It doesn't usually happen on the grand jury side of things. You don't often hear of grand juror misconduct because it's much harder to have grand juror misconduct that matters. And really, it doesn't matter. Grand juror misconduct, man, it has to be some seriously bad misconduct for it to, for it to affect a criminal case at all. 
And I'll talk about that in a second. Usually the kind of jury misconduct we hear is pettit jury misconduct, trial jury misconduct. When you hear the word jury, 12 people sitting on the bench hearing the evidence and passing guilt or innocence, um, guilty or not guilty verdicts, that's what we think of when we think of jury. That's where jury misconduct usually happens. And what happens is after somebody is convicted of a crime by the jury, they're looking for any reason to challenge their conviction on appeal. And jurors are not required to keep their communications, their deliberations secret after a verdict. They're free to talk about their deliberations. And so what happens is the defense lawyers will often try to contact jurors and ask them what happened during their deliberations to see if they did anything that deprived their client of due process, which would serve as the basis for an appeal. So for example, if they um, considered the fact that uh, the defendant didn't take the stand and they said, and, and the jurors said, well, he didn't testify in his defense, so he must be guilty. And they found him guilty based on that. Well, that violates his Fifth Amendment rights. And if, if you could get jurors to testify that the jury considered their refusal to testify, their silence, their invocation of their Fifth Amendment rights, they used that against them and, and, and used that as a basis to convict them. Well, then you can get a, a new trial because that's juror misconduct. They're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to hold a, a, a defendant's First Amendment rights, invocation of their First Amendment, uh, excuse me, Fifth Amendment rights to remain silent against them. You can't do that. So that could serve as the basis for uh, a new trial. Does it mean they get a get out of jail free card and the charges are dismissed? No, it means they get a new trial because that trial was not fair. So they get a new trial. They can still be convicted, but it'll be by a different jury. Or, for example, what if it's discovered after conviction that one of the jurors was bribed? That's jury juror misconduct. You can get a new trial. So that's the kind of misconduct that, that matters. But even then, it doesn't get the defendant off the hook completely. That conviction could get set aside because his rights were violated. So you just get a new trial. He has to stand trial again, and he could get convicted again. So that's, that's the kind of jury misconduct you usually hear about. You don't usually hear about grand juror misconduct because, um, first of all, who, who's in the grand jury room? I, I just told you this. It's, there's no judge there, okay? It's, it's just the prosecutor, it's uh, witnesses, maybe a court reporter, and the grand jurors um, because these people are not finding anyone guilty. All they're doing is deciding whether there's probable cause to charge the person with a crime. So if somebody is ultimately convicted, it's not they who convicted them. It's a grand jury, it's a regular jury that has to unanimously find beyond a reasonable doubt that they're guilty of the crimes charged. In a grand jury, you don't even need unanimity. You don't even need all the grand jurors to believe that there's probable cause. And this is just a probable cause standard. So this is completely separate and apart from a jury. So what about here? What about here we have a grand juror who maybe violated technically some rule? Has it has a defendant here, let's say Donald Trump is ultimately indicted. And again, he's not even gonna be indicted by this grand jury. He would have to be indicted by another grand jury. So this grand jury is not even indicting him. All the, what are they doing? All they're doing is hearing evidence and writing a report with recommendations that the DA doesn't even have to follow. So what could they possibly even do 
to to deny Donald Trump any rights. Nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. Okay, but let's let's assume, for argument's sake, that she technically violated this rule by by talking. What is the harm to Donald Trump? Because that's the inquiry for a trial court here. If Donald Trump is indicted by a subsequent grand jury, and if his mo- his lawyers file motions uh, on the basis of Emily Coors giving interviews and saying, "Oh, well, she technically violated the rule against uh, you know not discussing jury deliberations," and so therefore you should uh, dismiss this indictment. Is that a proper motion? Is the judge going to say, "Oh, well"? You're right. She technically shouldn't have discussed deliberation, so I guess Donald Trump gets to get away with his crimes. I'm going to dismiss this. No, of course not. That's not the proper remedy. The judge is going to look at the the supposed harm done to Donald Trump because you'll hear this. You'll hear, oh, the uh, the process was tainted. In fact, you know what? I'm going to pull up um, something on Truth Social. I, I saw a post somewhere from Donald Trump uh, let me see if I can find it. I've got to find it. He's always... Uh, okay, here's what he wrote last night. He wrote, Just to make every one of those people suffering from Trump derangement syndrome syndrome feel better, it doesn't really matter that the jury foreperson went on a media rampage, thereby badly tainting the case and making it, making it impossible to bring. Because I did absolutely nothing wrong. Okay, so Donald Trump here is just repeating what stupid commentary he hears in the media and he's saying that because this four person let's even assume like i said for argument's sake that she technically violated the rule against uh, talking about jury deliberations that uh, donald trump is claiming that she badly tainted the case and now it's impossible to bring a case against him because she did that is that true is that legally true no of course it's not legally true Criminals don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card because of some technical violation of the grand jury secrecy rules. Think about it. What if some kid, some five-year-old child, was viciously and brutally raped by somebody? And the cops investigate, and they bring their evidence before a grand jury, and they get an indictment against this child rapist piece of shit. And then one of the grand jurors goes out and talks to a local newspaper and and technically violates this rule against talking about jury deliberations. Do we as a society, are our laws such that now we are required to let that child rapist off the hook? He gets, a, he gets to get away with raping a child because some stupid grand juror made comments they shouldn't have made? No! That is absurd. That doesn't happen. That is not the appropriate remedy for that. And there's no difference here with Donald Trump. Is Donald Trump a child rapist? No, but the same rules apply whether you're talking about a child rape case or an election interference case. The rules are the rules. The laws are the laws. It's the same set of rules that would apply to both of those situations. The, the, the remedy is not that the criminal gets to get away with the crime because of some stupid comments by a grand juror. And who are grand jurors? Are they authorities of the state? Are they professionals? No, they're just regular people. In, in this case, this woman, she's apparently 30 years old. She looks like she's about 17. She has no job. 
she, she's not a lawyer. She's not trained. She's took no. She's take. She's not a, a professional, an expert. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's just a regular person who was selected at random to serve on a grand jury. Are we going to let a child rapist go free because some person, some unemployed thirty-year-old, uh, you know, selected at random, made some comments she shouldn't have to the local newspaper? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous if we did something like that. We don't, because that's not what we do. And that's not what would happen with Donald Trump. So, if Donald Trump's lawyers, after he is indicted by a different grand jury, files a motion saying, you should dismiss the, the indictment against Donald Trump because a different grand jury, other than the one that indicted him, um, a, a woman sitting on that grand jury later went out and made some comments she shouldn't have. So, therefore, Donald Trump should have his indictment dismissed and he should be able to get away with any crimes he may have committed. That's the motion. That, that's essentially going to be what the motion is that they file. Is the judge going to grant a motion like that? Of course not. Under any circumstances would the judge grant a motion like that. So what the judge would do is he would want information. He would, he would question Trump's lawyers asking them, well, what was the harm suffered by your client? Okay, let's assume that she, okay, so she violated the rule according to you. This is what the judge would say. She violated this rule. What is the harm to your client? Because the question is, was he harmed in his ability to get a fair trial? Because ultimately that's what the court is concerned with. That the defendant's rights are protected and that he is, an, he is afforded a fair trial. What did those comments do to deprive Donald Trump of a fair trial? So he's going to demand to know what the defense says, how he, is de how he is deprived of a fair trial, how he was harmed legally by her comments. Then, the, then he will ask, what is the appropriate remedy? So first, what is the harm suffered? And then what is the remedy? So the only possible harm that could have been suffered is that maybe the jury pool was somehow tainted. So anybody who may have listened to those interviews, seen those interviews, now they might have some bias against Donald Trump, you know, as a potential juror, um, because they heard her comments. And now Donald Trump can't get a fair trial because some people might have heard that interview. That's the only possible legal harm Donald Trump could have suffered. And so is, is, is that sufficient as a ba legal basis to throw out the indictment? No, of course not. So how do you address that harm that Donald Trump has suffered? You address that in jury selection. You question potential jurors who may have seen those interviews. And I guarantee you, if this ever goes to trial, it's not going to be for a long time and nobody's even going to remember those interviews. And even if anyone did, well, then you can either just strike them from the jury, you know, from the jury pool, or you question them about it. What do you remember about those interviews? What exactly do you remember that person saying? And will, you know, does this bias you one way or another for or against Donald Trump, the defendant? Just like any other jury selection process, you make sure that that information that's out in the public does not taint each particular juror, potential juror, and make them bias one way or the other for or against the defendant. Now, of all the things that could taint a jury, this is the least likely to taint a jury, okay? Who's going to remember this chick eight months from now if this goes to a jury trial, a year and a half from now if it goes to a jury trial? Nobody is. Now, think of all the other stuff 
that's been covered about these Donald Trump's crimes in Georgia. I mean, this is going to be a very lengthy jury selection process because there's been a lot of information about this case out in the public. And all of that has to be questioned. You know, all, these grand jurors have to be questioned about all of that to try to find, grand, uh, to find jurors, people um, in the jury pool, who have not been tainted by all the media coverage of this trial. And the, these interviews by this woman, this Emily Kors, this, these interviews is, is just one part of all the information that's out there in the public that p- potential jurors may have been exposed to. So this is just, this will be addressed in jury selection. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, there, with all the media coverage of this case, there's no way you're going to find any, anyone who hasn't heard about this or formed an opinion. Um, you, my friend, would be surprised. <laughs> Uh, they will have no problem. Well, I mean, it's going to take a while, but they will find 12 people who don't know anything about this case. I guarantee to you. You overestimate the, um, the informed nature of the American people. There are so many people out there who don't know what the hell's going on about anything. There are a lot of people who don't know anything about this case in Georgia or Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the election in Georgia. Haven't heard the phone call. Don't know anything about this. Certainly won't have heard anything about this grand juror. They will be able to seat a jury. This is how this grand juror's comments to the media will be dealt with. No indictment is going to be dismissed. It will just be handled during the jury selection process to ensure that the defendant receives a fair trial. That's it. That's how it will be handled. And what what on the crazy off chance that I'm wrong and that the judge actually dismisses the indictment? What happens then? Does Donald Trump get, get away with his crimes? No. What would happen is... Uh, the prosecutors would appeal that ridiculous, moronic judge's decision to an appellate court, and the appellate court would reinstate the indictment in about two seconds because there's no basis for tossing out the indictment. But that's not the only option available to prosecutors. They could just get a new indictment. They could just present the information to a different grand jury and get another indictment. Okay? Just because an indictment might be dismissed doesn't mean the prosecutors are barred from seeking other indictments. Jeopardy does not attach, okay? So this is not an issue where someone had a jury trial was found and found not guilty. Prosecutors can't go back and re-indict that person. That violates double jeopardy, okay? But jeopardy has to attach is what we lawyers say. And in a jury trial, jeopardy attaches once you seek the jury. So if you dismiss a, an indictment after a jury is selected, you can't re-indict. But there, there's, jeopardy doesn't attach during pre-trial when Trump's lawyers would be making these motions. So if the indictment gets dismissed, prosecutors could just get another indictment from another jury, another grand jury. That's it. And that might, in fact, be faster than appealing. So that's what, what they might do. But there's no way this would get dismissed anyway. So this is all ridiculous. And all these people who are out there saying that this is, oh, man, this may have fatally tainted the case, and oh no, Donald Trump's going to get away with it. His lawyer's going to file motions. Oh no, let them file their motions. They're not going to go anywhere. And I got to tell you, I'm really, like I said, there's some people that I have great respect for who are saying some stupid things. Um, I, I've got an article here written by Barbara McQuaid. She is a former U.S. attorney. She appears pretty frequently on MSNBC. This article appears on MSNBC.com. She's a, she's a former U.S. attorney in Michigan, 
And she ultimately thinks doesn't think that this is going to fatally harm uh, the state's case. But she thinks there's a lot more to it as, as a legal problem than there is. And I think this is ridiculous because I read this. Um, and what she's doing is conflating pettit juries, trial juries, with grand juries. So she's talking about the problems this could create, but she's talking about them as if it was a, a regular uh, you know, jury trial jury. That, that's completely different. And not only that, but this isn't even the jury, the grand jury that's going to indict Donald Trump. It, it, there's so many layers of this not being important. It's just ridiculous. Um, so just because you might come across somebody out there who you have respect for, they're usually pretty good, um, they're not always right. And I'm not saying I'm always right either. I will get things wrong also. But here's the problem with the talking heads. Like she's a paid contributor, legal analyst for MSNBC. So you're not going to get a paid legal analyst on a cable news network to come on and say, well, you know, I'm not really an expert in Georgia state criminal law, so I don't really know. That's what she should have said. Uh, and she shouldn't even have written this article because things she says here, she's not talking about uh, Georgia state law. She's talking about her experience as a federal prosecutor. Well, this is not going to be handled at the federal level. This is going to be handled in Georgia, under Georgia law. And she's not a Georgia attorney. She never practiced law in Georgia. She was in the federal system. And beyond that, she's from Michigan. So even when she practiced in the state system, she was in Michigan. And she's talking, again, about things that would relate to a friggin' jury trial anyway, not a grand jury. So it was very disappointing to see that. Um, but I, I, I've heard similar commentary from other people. But again, even she after giving more serious consideration uh, that this might actually be a problem, even she says, yeah, um, Trump's lawyers aren't going to win here on this anyway. Ultimately, it doesn't do any harm. But anyway, so that's what you need to keep in mind. When it comes to legal procedural breaches and violations, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't just dismiss cases. You have to see what exactly was the violation, what harm was there to the defendant's ability to get a fair trial and what is the appropriate remedy to ensure that the defendant gets a fair trial the child rapist doesn't get away with child rape because some 30 year old out of work grand juror makes some stupid comment doesn't work like that the question is what harm did the defendant suffer and how do you remedy that harm to ensure that the defendant gets a fair trial and in this case you just address it through jury selection and make sure that you don't get any jurors who have been biased because they might have heard her interviews. That's it. That's what you need to know. But do you hear that in the news media? Do you hear that from the so-called legal experts uh, on whatever cable news shows you watch? No, you don't hear that. You hear them all saying the same damn thing. And a lot of them know this, but they don't say this. I don't know. I, maybe they just think the audience is too stupid to understand it. I don't know. And maybe most of them are. But that's not the kind of audience that I'm trying to cultivate here. I want to be able to, to say things the way they actually are and have an audience that's smart enough to understand it. I'm not going to dumb it down for my audience because that just makes me sound like an idiot. You know? Then I, then I sound like one of these so-called legal experts, these former U.S. attorneys and who else. They go on... They go on um, whatever cable news show and in order to dumb it down for the audience they make themselves sound like idiots because they say things that are stupid um, I'm not going to do that here I'm going to tell you the way it is 
I'm sure most of you are going to be smart enough to understand what I'm talking about. And if you're not, you're going to learn something here. You're not going to learn anything from people who just dumb it down for the audience and don't tell you the truth. You will learn it by hearing someone tell you the actual truth. Okay? When you hear people discuss this speech or debate clause with respect to Mike, Mike Pence trying to challenge the subpoena, do any of these people ever friggin' take out the Constitution and read you the relevant clause of the Constitution? No! No! They just talk in generalities. So, anyways, I'm not doing that here, which is why you need to listen. And this is why you need to tell other people to listen. And this is why you need to go over to YouTube if you're not on YouTube right now. And you need to type Mark Romano or Declaring Liberty or Mark Romano's Declaring Liberty into the search bar. Find my beautiful, handsome face right there. Click on that. And then hit the subscribe button. And then look, look for that little bell. And then click on that because that is the notification bell. And that will alert you now anytime I post a new video. And then when you get an alert, you open the video and you watch it. And you will learn something. And you will have someone who's telling you the truth about this stuff. Am I always going to be right? Not always, but damn near close to always. Occasionally, I will be wrong. And I then welcome you to point out to me how I got something wrong. And I will be the first to correct it. Because my goal here is to get everything right for this audience. I don't want to be wrong. I'm not like the Trump cult who doesn't care about the facts I just want to believe what I want to believe, and I'm going to believe what I want to believe no matter what. No, facts matter. I want to be right. I want to get the facts right. Sometimes I'll get the facts wrong. Sometimes my analysis will be wrong. Call me out. Show me how I'm wrong. But, you know, please do so with a level of intellect. Don't just tell me I'm wrong or I'm an idiot or something like that. If I'm wrong, please show me how I'm wrong. Give me a link to something or whatever. Show me how I'm wrong. And I will even give you credit for correcting me, okay? So, and if this is not just a me talking at you guys sort of thing that I want to build here. I'd really like to build a community of smart people having conversations with one another. So please, be active in the comments section, please. Okay, I will engage with you guys also. I can't promise that I will um, reply to every comment, but I'm, I, I, I reply frequently. And you guys can talk to each other and have your own conversations there and share information with each other. Um, but the point is, I want to cultivate a smart audience here, okay? So many places where you go, it's just a bunch of idiots mess everything up. You know, I'm hoping that the idiots the idiots aren't going to want to be here, okay? If the idiots want to be here in, because they want to learn something and they don't want to be an idiot anymore, that's good. Anyone who is welcome here who actually has an open mind and wants to learn. I don't want the idiots who don't know anything they're talking about but think they're experts on everything. Um, and, and have closed minds and you can't teach them anything. I don't want them here. Um, but you guys are a smart audience and please, please uh, do comment in the, in the comment section. And please do recommend this show to other people and please do subscribe on YouTube because I'm going to have a lot more. Um, you'll, you'll get a lot more on YouTube than, than you'll get in the, um, the audio because I, I can't record this, this audio version of the podcast the long-form version of it as frequently. But I will be uploading very frequently, sometimes and usually multiple times a day, and whenever the news warrants it, okay? Uh, so please go over there to be more informed than pretty much anyone else out there because I'm going to give you uh, really what you need to know, and you really don't get that many other places. So anyways, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much 
for for listening here today. It is so glad I am so glad. It is so great to be back here behind the microphone. Um, and uh, buckle up, strap yourself in because it's going to get interesting. Donald Trump is going to be indicted, probably in multiple jurisdictions for multiple crimes. Oh, and by the way. If you haven't been over to my YouTube channel, go over there and start looking at some of those old videos, or at least some of the recent videos, okay? I've got a good one on there on Merrick Garland, okay? This guy, he did nothing for almost two years. I mean, you, you've got to listen to this video. It's called, you watch this video. It's called About Merrick Garland, okay? There's a big picture of him, About Merrick Garland. Watch that because there's stuff in there that you don't hear anywhere else about this guy. Okay, watch that video, and I explain to you how he has screwed up the federal investigations into Donald Trump. Not screwed up to the point that Donald Trump's not going to be indicted, but nonetheless, he has really put us behind the eight ball um, by his inaction, and I talk about that. So please go over there and check out other videos. I've got a lot of other good good stuff out there. There's also stuff on Mike Pence, some of what we discussed. So anyways, that's it. I got to go. I need to shut up and move along. So thank you so much for, for, for listening here today. Um, And until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you again soon.